Well, welcome everyone. So glad that you're here on this wonderful fall break uh, Sunday. And as you can tell, I feel like every time I speak, I get stuffed up, but my son's had a uh, little bit of a cold, and here I am. But So if you are wondering what's going on with this guy, yeah, definitely, definitely stuffed up. And it's uh, always good to be it's always good to be with you guys, even if you're stuffed up, but the problem is, is I had a very busy weekend because I had to do a wedding yesterday as well, and when you're stuffed up and you have to do a wedding and speaking, it's just like, does this have to happen? I know this sounds ridiculous, but I think sometimes even the enemy tries to get after you a little bit with it, and it's like, oh man. So what I want to do is I actually want to just, let's just kick this thing off. I know we just got done praying, but I want to take a moment just to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to come in here and be with us this morning. Dear Lord, I just ask that you'd come in here, Father. Your Holy Spirit is welcome. Lord, I ask that you just kind of clear me up as well, Father, as I'm up here. I ask, Lord, that you would just give us an opportunity to hear from you. Today, Father, I feel that you prepared a, a word in my heart, and I ask that that would be communicated clearly, that would be communicated boldly, God, it would be communicated in love. And I thank you so much for this group of people, whether, it's, whether they're here today or they're watching online. Lord, I just ask that we would hear from you. And, and as we go out throughout this week, Lord, we would take something with us. That is, that's the hope today. Just ask for your Holy Spirit to come. We invite you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is one of those messages where instead of it being like a crowd of people, I could actually put a giant mirror out and just look at myself. So it's really interesting. But I'll tell you, I really sense the Holy Spirit gave me this sermon this morning. And it's probably, for me, one of the more challenging things because it's something that I have to wrestle with. But I also believe it's something that you wrestle with. In fact, I think it's something that people in general wrestle with. And it's this idea of lining our actions and our words up together. And when we do that, what a beautiful picture it creates and when we don't do that, what a destructive thing it creates. And it's really interesting because if you were to look at your own life, like I, the question I would start off by asking you would be, if you were to look at your life right now, if you were to be honest with yourself, and you were to look at just every intricate part of your life, what makes you different than somebody who doesn't profess to know and be walking with Jesus? I had to ask myself that multiple times this week, and I thought, shoot, that is extremely humbling. That's extremely challenging. Now, in terms of practicality, thinking about all the different things that Christ followers do, you know, we show mercy, love, grace, kindness, some of those things. What makes you different from the person that doesn't know Jesus, the person that's not following closely with Jesus? And if you start to think about that, it's a very humbling question, but it's also a very challenging question. And as we know, this whole idea of lining our words and our actions up is really, really difficult. And I was challenged because I'm not good at this a lot. And so one of the things that I think that we'll kind of tackle today and my hope and prayer is that you'll be able to be challenged in a way where you recognize how hand in hand these things actually go. Now, it's kind of interesting. I feel like lately, and maybe one of the reasons I'm so like stuffed up and not feeling the best is because I continue to not get good sleep. I'm getting woken up about I, it's like three or four times a night, and you know what is waking me up? These two little boys that are in my house, the two little older boys, they keep waking me up. 
And it's funny, when you first have kids, you're like, oh, like, you know, I want them to wake me up. It's totally fine. Like, I'd love to be, and then all of a sudden they start waking you up and you're just like, holy cow, I am really, really tired. But it's really interesting because I have found myself also appreciating when they come wake me up. Like, literally, they will slam open the door. It's like pitch black in our room. They'll slam open the door, and all of a sudden I see this little, you know, this little kid coming around to the side of the bed to get in with us. And it, like, kind of startles you. If you've ever been woken up, you know, and all of a sudden light from the hallway pops in, you're like, whoa, what's happening? Like, it, it, it's like this thing that is, like, a lot of different emotions mixed into it. But here's one of the things that I told my boys. I tell them before they go to sleep every night, I say, hey, if you guys need anything, because I put them to bed, and so I'll lay with the, the middle one kind of down in his bed, they're in bunk beds, and then the oldest one is up in his top bunk bed. And I always tell them, I say, hey, if you guys need anything, you come and get us, okay? If you get scared or you, you're sad or something, you wake up and you're tired and you, you need to, whatever, just come and, come and find us. But it's really interesting, once I'm in the middle of my sleep, all of a sudden, those words are like, yeah, you know what, I know I said that, but just go back to sleep. It's this idea of telling somebody something and expecting to be able to follow through with it. Another thing that I tell my oldest son a lot of times is I will say, hey, you know, I'll come, he'll say, daddy, can you come up and like lay with me? And I'll say, well, buddy, I'm down here with Wells. I got I to gotta, like stay down here with Wells for a little bit because he's three and he wants me to lay with him. And Case, our six-year-old's like, no, dad, that's not fair that you always lay with him, one of those types of things. And so a lot of times I'll say, hey, Case, let me tell you this. When, when Wells goes to sleep, I will come up and lay with you. Now, this is a bunk bed, and I'm not like a super tall dude, but it's still, I mean, if you ever tried to get in a kid's bunk bed, it's pretty, it's pretty challenging. So I'll be like, hey, Case, when he goes to sleep, like, I will come up and lay with you. There's been times, I kid you not, where literally, and you might be like, what in the world? There is times where literally I have, most of the time I feel like I fall asleep, and then Megan comes in and wakes me up. I'll go to our bedroom, and there's been times that I've woke up in the middle of the night and thought, oh, shoot, I never went up and laid with Case. And I will get out of my bed and go up to that bunk bed and sometimes just pray over him or just lay with him for a second. And I, here's the reason why. Because in the morning, he asks me, Daddy, did you come up and lay with me last night? And there's been times where I've said, sorry, son, like, I, I didn't last night. And I said, what in the world, Dad, you told me you would. I want to be a person that when I say I'm going to do something, I do it, and I'm not the best. In fact, if you know me, kind of the joke is my, my lack of follow-through sometimes. I struggle to get back to people when, I, when they're texting me because I got a million people texting me, and it's, it's one of those things where I got to get better at follow-through. I got to get better at lining my words and my actions up. And I think it starts in your home. I think it starts in your heart, recognizing that when you line your actions and words up, God will do something significant in your life. And that's kind of where we're headed today. Now, Matthew 6.24 is very interesting. That's where we're going to head to Matthew, and we're going to be in Philippians, and we're going to be in Malachi. We're going to start off in Matthew 6.24, and this is exactly what it says. Some of you have seen this verse. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other, because you cannot serve both God and money. You can replace this with anything. This just isn't money. Now, he used, the writer obviously uses that as an, uh, as an opportunity for us to see. Um, well, in Jesus, Jesus is using this as an opportunity for us to see that money is often tied to your heart. It's, but he's also talking about you can't serve anything else. 
In fact, this was so challenging, challenging to me. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He's not even just saying, hey, like, you got to, like, love me, but you can also love this. He's basically, well, he is. You can love this, and you need to hate this. I was listening to a preacher, a Canadian preacher by the name of Mark Clark, and he posted this little clip about love, and I thought, holy cow, that is the most interesting clip I've ever seen. And it got me processing and thinking about the things that I love. Let me tell you this. The love that you have for things is always going to get your attention. The love that you have for things is always going to get your time. The love that you have for things is always going to get your energy. You can't just turn off the things that you love. Some, when we're talking about sin, you can't just turn those things off. You actually have to fall in love with something else more. You know, you can't just look at, a, at somebody and be like, hey, stop lusting. It doesn't work like that. Stop being greedy. Stop gossiping. Stop doing that. You, that's not how humans work. The way that I would stop doing those things or you would stop doing those things is if I put my love onto something else. Like, I'm not going to wake up one day and just be like, oh, I don't have any fear anymore. Nope, it's all gone. That's, that's not, your, your mental determination will never do that. You have to love something more than you love that thing. This guy goes on to say, Mark Clark, he, he says that he used to love, he's, been a, he's, he's a pastor in uh, Canada, and they've opened up a ton of different churches, and I love the illustration. He said, I used to smoke. He said, I smoked for 24 years, and he said, I loved it. He said, I loved the taste of it, the smell of it. And he said, they would post those commercials of like the bleeding brains, and this is what your brain does, and it'll mess your teeth up. And he's like, I would see those commercials, and I would, I'd be like, oh my goodness, like, I don't really care. Like, I don't care about the bleeding brain. And the, the, he said, I'd walk into a gas station and be like, yeah, give me a couple bleeding brains and give me a couple, uh, you know, nasty teeth. He, he didn't care. Because he loved it so much. He didn't just rid of it. Here's what happened. He met a girl. And that girl didn't like it. And he loved that girl more than he loved smoking. And so he quit. So you can't just give up stuff. That's not how it works. I think a lot of times we think, oh, I'll just mentally get over this sin. I can be, if I'm determined enough, I can get over this sin. No. You have to love something else more than you love that sin. And that something else, as we know, is Jesus. You have to figure out how you can love something more than the thing that is the thing that's holding you back. And so I want to ask you a question. What do you love this morning? Because in Matthew 6, 24, as it says, no one can serve two gods. We often try in our society, we try to serve multiple gods. I know I do. But I want to ask you, what do you love? I wrote down a few things that I think are very interesting because this hit me really hard, especially when it comes to this idea of what gets my time. I wrote down this. Some of us love the idea of growth, but we love complacency and comfortability more. Some of us love the idea of being generous, but we like to store up treasures more. We love the idea of storing up treasures more. Some of us love the idea of being a humble servant, but we love our power and status more. Some of us love the idea of peace. This is me right here. Some of us love the idea of peace, but we can't get, let go of the stress and burdens of perfection because we actually love perfection more. Some of us love the idea of connection and community, but we love sleeping in and our me time more. Some of us love the idea of forgiveness, but we love holding something over someone's head more. 
Some of us love the idea of grace, but we don't love the hard effort it takes to display grace enough. Some of us love our spouses and our children, but we love money and success more than we love the time that we spend with them. Some of us love the idea of trusting God wholeheartedly, but we love control more. Some of us love the idea of following Jesus at all costs, as long as it doesn't cost us. You see what I'm saying? Like, here's the idea. I love the idea of getting fit. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love it. But you know what I love more, honestly? And I'm not saying it's right. It's not. I love Doritos and Mountain Dew and watching football games while eating Doritos and Mountain Dew and then maybe having some ice cream more than I love being fit. See, the bottom line is I could sit here and tell you, oh, man, I just got to stop. I just got to go on a diet. I just got to do this. I got... If you don't love the things that requires to get fit, you won't become fit. The reason that I'm not fit and I probably can't run like a 15-minute mile right now is exactly what I just told you. Because I love drinking pop and I love sitting on the couch. If I genuinely loved getting fit, I would be on the treadmill. Because I would, dis I would have a disposition where I would actually um, place my love for getting fit into the actions. See, until it becomes actions, it's just a dream. Until there's actions, it just becomes an idea. Until there's actions, it just becomes a fantasy. Love the idea of getting fit. Love the idea of spending time with my kids. Love the idea of peace. Love the idea of being a humble servant. I love the idea of forgiveness. But you know what the problem is? I also like holding something over someone's head when they've wronged me. I love that more than forgiveness. Why? Because it feels good. I love the idea of peace. You know what I ask God for all the time? I say, God, please give me peace because I am a worrier. I've talked about that a million times up here. I'm a worrier. And I'm like, God, please give me peace. Like, I want peace. And what I've noticed in my life is I shoot for perfection in so many areas that one of, and, and I'm far from it, but sometimes when I shoot for perfection in all the areas, I get so overwhelmed, I don't even become good in any area. Like, I actually struggle sometimes to do things well at, like, across the board. Actually, most of the time. But some of those times, part of it is because I get overwhelmed at the pursuit of perfection. And God's like, look, you say you love peace. You cry out for peace. Then let go of the perfection. You say that you love me and that you want to you forgive like I've forgiven you, but you really like to remind that person they wronged you. You really, really want to be a good dad, and you really want to be there for your kids and spend time to them, and I know that's a great idea, but you also love status, and so you're going to be gone a lot, and I'm not saying some of these things are bad. Providing for your family, that is excellent. That's exactly what I want to provide. I just, just talking to Megan about this, how I want to always provide and make sure that they're comfortable, and there's nothing wrong with that, but if you're asking yourself seriously, what do you love? Because I know a lot of people that don't have money that have really good relationships with their children. I also know a lot of people that do have money that have good relationships with their children. So don't hear me, hear me wrong in that. But what I'm saying is, what do you love? Because we can talk the talk all day long. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty of what you love, your attention, your affections, your time, and your energy will always, always win out with the things that you love. I can't just wake up one day and say, I'm done with this. I have to love something else more. And here's what I believe. Some of you guys, including myself, 
have placed idols in your life. You don't even maybe recognize they're there. But an idol is anything that gets attention or affection more than God does. And this is what I believe. I believe that idols, they don't just corrupt your heart. They actually expose your deepest affections. When it comes to this idea of idols, it's going to expose. People will know who you are and what you love by the time you spend, by the energy you pour in. Like I said, I can sit here all day and say, oh, I want to be the best dad in the world. But when I'm gone every single night and my kids are crying out for me to spend time with them, I got to look in the mirror and say, what do I love? When I'm, when I'm wanting to give someone grace and I'm following after Jesus and I say that I love Jesus and I want to pursue him and I want to pursue every value he has, but then that person wrongs me, heck no, I'm not going to uh, give them grace at all. Why would I do that? People will know who you are. They will know the fruit in your life by your actions. When they line up with your words, it's a beautiful picture. But here's the thing I also want. I want to flip something upside down. And it's in Philippians. And as we segue into this, I want you to hear me that I believe we put God in a box on many things. But I think we put God in a box in the idea of our actions and our words. And here's what I mean by this. There is times that we think our hearts need to be lined up perfectly before we can forgive someone. It's why some of us have not been able to forgive that person for 20 years. I run into people all the time and we might, you know, talk and we're having coffee and we talk about, you know, anything and everything and all of a sudden I've talked to different people and been like, yeah, I'm really struggling with this person. Yeah, we've been, you know, it's been a long time. It's been six months or whatever. And one of the things I'll hear is, yeah, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to forgive them. I'm not ready to give grace. Not only do I hear that, but I do that in my own life. And this is what I want you to see in Philippians. Don't miss the point of this, and this is why I will explain it, but I want you, um, just, just, yeah, let's read it real quick. Philippians 1, 15, 19. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy, Paul's writing this, and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ, Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. This is what he says right here. But what does it matter? That's really interesting if you, if you get that. But what does it matter? Wait a minute. He just said that some of these people are preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. I think there's probably, I'd venture to say, and you know what? I'm sure I, I know I've done it as well. There's probably pastors that stand up on stage and preach the gospel sometimes out of selfish ambition. And if I'm not careful, I've done the same thing. Because there's times where it's like, well, I want to do a good job. I want to be recognized. I want to do this. And God's like, well, this isn't about me. So motives, I'm not saying motives aren't important, but if you look at this, Paul is literally saying those people's motives aren't good. But then he says in 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Holy cow. Not saying that motives don't matter, because they do. You want to be able to listen to somebody that's genuine and, and lives this thing out. But Paul is saying that's not even as important as the message of Jesus being preached. 
above everything else, whether out of selfish motives, out of false motives, or true, the most important thing, again, there's things that are important and there's things that are more important. This one is one of those things that's more important. The most important thing is that Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. What matters most is that Christ is glorified. Have you ever been in a position in your heart where your heart and your mind are not aligning? What do I mean by this? There's times where Megan and I will get into it, we'll get in an argument, and like 10 minutes later I'm sitting there thinking, I'm really mad, but that was so dumb. And even though I'm really mad, I'm really hurting right now in the fact that I'm unsettled in the fact that we're fighting over this. And I would rather have peace with her than fight. And so what I'll do is I'll walk over to her and I'll be like, hey, I'm sorry, like I'm sorry that I said that or I'm sorry that we fought, that was stupid. Can I tell you that when I tell her that sometimes, I 100% do not mean that I'm sorry. Like, I actually still think she's wrong. And she does the same thing with me. Or she's come over and said sorry. And there's even been times where I've said sorry. Maybe you can relate to this if you're, if you're married or in a relationship. There's been times where I've even said sorry and she's like, that's not genuine. And I'm like, yeah, it's really not. But here's the deal. I'm saying sorry right now because I love peace with you more than I love fighting. This is where I want to turn this upside down with God being in a box. See, I think that we believe that our hearts have to be ready, uh, perfect, um, every, following after Jesus' values before we can act. What if we were to flip this around and, let you, and actually kind of process this idea that sometimes you have to act before your words actually mean something? Sometimes you have to actually go do something that you don't even feel in your heart you're ready to do or you want to do and God's called you to do. And if you were to actually let the person know what your words were like, like, like I said, I'm, I'm sorry. Megan's like, that's not genuine. I know it's not, but you know what? I'm going to try. I'm bringing this to the table because I want peace with you. See, we always think that our words have to, we have to start with words and our heart has to be like in the right place before we can act. But in the scriptures, we see that's not the case. In fact, Philippians, Paul says it. It doesn't even matter what your motives are. Just do it. it I mean, realistically, you should have good motives, as we know. Again, that's what I don't want you to miss. You should have good motives because God wants your heart. But Paul is also saying that it is just crucial that sometimes when you're not feeling it, and you're having a tough time, God can actually still use you preaching Jesus, you acting on that. You know, here's the thing. I've gotten up here before and given messages that I walk off the stage and think that was the worst thing I've ever said. Like, there's no way anybody got anything from that because that was so bad. I'm hoping that's not today, but we'll see. I'm very hard on myself, so I'll walk off and say that stuff. And then I have people messaging me, message me that'll say, wow, thank you, God really spoke. And I'm thinking, isn't that incredible? I'm this unimportant, limited and gifting person, and God is actually using my worst because he doesn't need me to come with perfection to the table. 
He just needs me to come to the table. Sometimes when you don't feel, I could, like I said, I could give the worst message ever and God could still use my words. Why? Because I'm just trying to be faithful and obedient and acting on what he's telling me to do. Sometimes you have to do, sometimes you have to go forgive someone even when you don't feel it. And you know what? In fact, I was just talking to Joe Lee upstairs and we were talking about forgiveness because forgiveness isn't a feeling. Forgiveness is an action. Grace isn't always a feeling. Grace is an action. Mercy isn't always a feeling. It's an action. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to highlight. He's, he's saying to you and me, don't get so caught up in the fact that you think you have to have everything lined up before you can act. Sometimes if you act enough, if you put your, 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 what you're called to do in action, because remember, God, we can't put him in a box. He's not this tiny little God that only works one way. Believe it or not, he works reverse too. Sometimes, even when you're not feeling it, you, put your, you go into action, God will begin to change your heart. Sometimes when your heart is changed, you will go into action. But he works both ways. And that is exactly what Paul is trying to say. How do I know this? Well, I know this because, you know what? In Matthew 26, Jesus cries out verbally to God to take his cup away. He actually says, God, please, if this cup can pass from me, please let it pass. Jesus verbally, through his words, cried out to God to ask for him to take his cup away, to remove the, cru the crucifixion process essentially away. We know that Jesus wanted to do this because he loved us, but at the same time, he actually asked God basically, hey, if there's another way, please take this. His words, his words are kind of showing like, holy cow, like, I don't really, God, I really don't want to do this. What happens? One chapter later in 27, he's hanging on a tree. His words were that of, I'm not so sure, even though we know he was sure, but God, if you could take this, but his actions. Why? Because he loved us more than he loved being comfortable up in heaven on the throne. When you start seeing this idea that your words really, really mean something, and when you start seeing that your actions really, really, really start meaning something, and you recognize that it can actually go both ways, when you start pairing those together, and that becomes a beautiful couple, I'm telling you what, the world will see a really neat picture of Jesus because they'll see Christians that say something, and they'll see Christians that do something. I want to give you a little example. If I told you right now that I'm wearing a sport, like a, a, a sport jacket, a suit jacket, like I'm up here and I'm like, hey, I got a sport jacket on. You'd be very confused, would you not? You'd be like, no, you don't. But if I come over here and I say now, I say, hey, I got a, I got a suit jacket on. This would make sense to you, right? You'd say, oh, yeah, he has a suit jacket on. That totally makes sense. See, I think that happens to the world sometimes. I think they look at a lot of people that preach on joy, that preach on mercy, preach on grace, don't act on it. I think they see a lot of people sometimes that think that, we can, we can continue to read the scriptures and know the heart of Jesus. And yes, I want to follow after you, but if it's going to cost me stuff, I love my comfortability more. And remember when I said earlier, when I tell you guys this, I'm telling you, I could put a big mirror out here because I was convicted so hard even preparing for this. Because if there's somebody whose actions and words don't line up a lot, it's me. And I started thinking to myself, imagine what God would do if your actions and your words lined up, Mike, you would fulfill your calling 
You would be the person who God created you to do, and that's what I want to pursue. I'm going to call the band up here real quick as we kind of begin to close, but one of the things that I wanted to be able to share with you was in Malachi. There's a neat part of Scripture in Malachi. And this is kind of cool because God puts his words into action. God says something and then he does it. Because he doesn't want to confuse us. In Malachi 4.6 it says this. He says, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. In fact, let's go to 5 real quick just because I want you to be able to see the context. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before, and that, uh, that great and dreadful day the Lord comes, and now he's talking about when the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. That is Malachi 4.6. That is God prophesying right there saying, I will send somebody that will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers and the fathers back to the children. That is the last verse in the Old Testament. And then there's silence for 400 years. The next thing that you read, if you turn the page, it says the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. He didn't just say that he was coming. 400 years later, the very next verse, Jesus arrives. I love Malachi 4.6. Because when I read the very last verse in the Old Testament, I can't imagine what they would have been thinking for that 400 years. Whoa, God said that he would turn the fathers back to the children and the children's hearts back to the fathers. Like, he came to bring peace. And it's, you know, at year 200, you're starting to think, okay, my goodness. Like, God, you said you'd do something about this. Like, are you going to? There might have been a level of confusion at that point. Fast forward to 400 years, Jesus shows up. And I think there is something incredibly powerful about recognizing that Jesus showed up. There's people in your life right now that need you to show up. There's people in your life right now that you've been telling them, you've been, that you'll pray for them, but you're forgetting. I don't know how many times I do this. I'll say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then I forget. I have been making that point probably the last couple years that when I say I'm going to pray for somebody, I, I genuinely do because I write it down. I'll set a reminder. Why? Because I, and they won't even know that my actions wouldn't line up. They probably think I am. I want to be able to tell someone when I look at you and say, I'm going to be praying for you, I want to pray for you because I want to put this beautiful picture together of my words and my actions lining up. We got to stop confusing the world. we got to stop confusing the world. I mean, when we think about it, Jesus already came. Like there's, if we don't show the world who Jesus is, they'll never see him. He's not coming again. He, he is coming again, but he's not coming to die on the cross again. The only way the world, like there's going to be people that are, that are dying every day. And yes, I know that someday the sky will split open and, and he'll show up. He's promised us that. But he's not coming again to die on the cross for us. So if our words and our, our actions don't line up and people see like Christians that aren't just talking but we're walking, they won't see a set of rules. Nobody, nobody like likes rules, okay? Like I don't care what you say. Like you, you don't, we don't like rules, 
I mean, even if you like organization and boundaries, also that's great. But like, nobody actually genuinely loves rules. <laughs> but I'm telling you, if the world sees Christians that just talk and don't live with joy, don't live with peace, don't forgive, don't give grace, don't give mercy, that's all they're going to see. I have so many people come up to me at different times. Like, I did a wedding last night, or I'll have, you know, at weddings or different different things. I'll have people and they'll be like, "Oh man, like." Just even if they're just talking to me, they'll be like, it's cool that you're religious. And I, I just get so like, I mean, I don't say anything to them about it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I love Jesus. I hate when somebody says I'm religious. You know what religion is? Religion's is? Religion is a set of do's and don'ts. That's what religion is. I'm not involved in religion. I'm involved in a relationship with Jesus. And I have to make sure that my words and my actions are lined up so that they see Jesus, because he is not coming back to die on the cross again. And the only way they're going to know that story is not from some dude preaching at him or some dude talking about him. The only way that they're going to see a Jesus that's real is if I live this thing out. When somebody looks at me and knows that they've hurt me and I say, hey, you know what? I forgive you. Whoa, they're going to see Jesus. When somebody wrong somebody that I love and I'm like, hey, I want to give you mercy. They're going to see Jesus. These things together is the most beautiful picture of Jesus that you could possibly imagine. And so my challenge for you this morning is, what do you love? Because that's the thing that's going to get your actions. That's probably the thing that's going to get your words as well. My second question is, are those things lining up because if they're not, we're just confusing people. And I'm the king of confusing people. And I don't want to do that. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Holy Spirit, we come before you. God, I really sense that you gave me this word. I, in fact, I should have been writing it in front of a mirror. Because this is me. I'm the guy that says stuff and doesn't always follow through. I'm the guy that says stuff and gets angry. And like, we're going to make mistakes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about really pursuing this idea that when we put our words and our actions together, God will do something incredible. You will do something incredible. Because you'll paint a picture of what it really means to go at this thing wholeheartedly. It's going to take every bit of me. I don't want to confuse the world anymore. I want people to know that, like, I have joy in my life amidst circumstances. Like, Paul talks about, well, here's the thing. Like, in James, God, I mean, it, it literally says that you need to consider it pure joy when trials come. That doesn't make any sense other than the fact that joy is a choice. And so, like, I want to choose joy in the midst of my trials because I want people to be able to see you. Because I can sit here on a Sunday when things are peaches and cream and say I have joy. But I don't always have joy on a Tuesday night when I'm frustrated. But that is, that is, those are the moments, those are the spaces that the world will see a real Jesus. And I just ask God that you'd give us the boldness to put these two things together, together beautifully. To be able to ask us, what do we love, God? I love following you. I do. But I also like to hold on to some of this stuff. I'm not going to give you everything, God. I'll give you 90%. Like, I love this idea of forgiving people mm, till, it's, till it actually happens to me. What do we love? 
I love you, God. And so I want my actions and my words to line up, Father. May you challenge us this morning. May, you, may your Holy Spirit go with these individuals as they leave this place. May they be filled with just the utmost kindness, grace, mercy, love. May they treat the world that way. May I do the same, God. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. It's in your amazing, precious name we ask these things and say these things. In Jesus' name, amen.